Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to be with you all. Good to see you all here. Um, it's always fun. It's over, uh, over 30 of us here on this call at the moment. <clears throat> so it's uh, great to see you all. I hope you're all having uh, good uh, weeks. If you just bear with me a second, I will make sure that I get the right um, words up so you can see in a minute. Right, brilliant. So we're ready to go. Right. I'm going to tell you a story to start with from when I was about, I think I was about 10, maybe 11. And um, the school I was at at the time announced that they were going to do a game of cricket. Uh, And they were going to play in a cricket competition uh, with a number of other schools. And my school didn't really teach cricket at the time. That's not what we did in PE. We were mainly football and that was about it. Uh, And, uh, but I thought, Cricket sounds good. I can sure I can play cricket, have a, having never have a played it in my life. And so uh, I went home from school that day and my dad came home from work and he gave me like an hour lesson in how to bat, how to bowl and how to, you know, do the fielding, which is basically just standing around doing nothing. Uh, so he kind of did that. And then the next Saturday morning, we went and to school, met at school uh, and I, um, I just, we, we were all there, all the pupils were there. Uh, and the teacher kind of said, right, who's a mate, who's, uh, can play cricket? And I put my hand up and said, look, I am actually really, really good at cricket. Uh, genuinely quite good. Uh, you know, you, you lot are going to learn some stuff from me. I feel like this is going to be a good experience for you uh, to be around me as I play cricket. And you can tell stories of how you were with me uh, when I first began to play cricket. Uh, so what I did... is I, uh, yeah, I learned, that's what I did. I announced how brilliant I was at cricket. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, uh, it turned out not to be true. I wasn't very good at cricket. In fact, I was awful at cricket. And I ended up doing the fielding and nothing else. I bowled and they would hit the ball for miles. Uh, I went into bat and that uh, didn't last very long. Uh, It was gone. So it really was not a good kind of cricketing experience for me. I was genuinely uh, quite rubbish at it. Uh, And what I discovered in that moment was that I was all mouth and no action, okay? I was all talk, but no ability. I said that I was a cricketer, but the evidence uh, for my cricketing ability ability just wasn't there. I I hadn't, there was no fruit of the cricket within me. It just didn't exist. And so... Now, I was thinking about that when I was uh, looking at James, and we're going to work our way through James uh, this week, or have been for a number of weeks now, uh, and uh, James has a lot to say about how we talk, uh, the words that we say, and the impacts that we have on those around us. Uh, And today, James is really very interested in the words that we say and the action that comes from them, between what we say and what we do. And it's important that we get that. Uh, so we're going to look at that today. Uh, and I'm just going to read uh, from um, James uh, chapter 
uh, two. And I'm going to share that on the screen so that you can see that. Uh, and uh, I will talk us through it. So you should be able to see that uh, there. Let me just, there we go. Uh, so uh, just uh, read that along with me if you've got your Bibles. Uh, it's good to do. If not, you can read along on the screen. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James asks uh, a couple of big questions there, doesn't he? Um, he uh, wants us to uh, really think about some things quite deeply. He says, if you say you are something, but you don't behave like that something, are you really that something? So if you say you're a cricketer, but you cannot play cricket, are you a cricketer? That, that's uh, the, the question there that I discovered as an 11 year old. Uh, or, but what James is thinking about is thankfully something a bit deeper than sports. He says, if you say you are a believer in Jesus, but you don't behave like a believer in Jesus, are you really a believer in Jesus? And it was relevant to them then. So the original readers of this letter, uh, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, uh, they were uh, the scattered church who had fled from Israel because of persecution, thrown into a foreign culture, trying to work out their faith and belief in Jesus, how to live with each other, how to love, how to live for Jesus. So this is very relevant then. What, you know, the things that you say and the things that you do, how do they match up? And it's relevant to us today. We live in a culture um, where the influence of faith is shrinking, uh, where um, to be a follower um, of Jesus, to live out his teaching and um, to follow his example, actually that's increasingly looked down upon, increasingly uh, mocked. And so this morning, as we work our way through this passage, as we ask these questions that James was asking, we are to think, in fact, are we all mouth and no action? Uh, uh, do we say uh, that we follow Jesus, but don't actually follow? So let's think about this. So let's uh, look at the first verse, verse 14 that he uh, wrote. And he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Well, it is a huge question. And actually, this verse has been tripping up theologians and Christians for thousands of years and causing a lot of controversy. Uh, so much controversy, actually, that is not a lot of point getting into it now. But it causes 
uh, quite a lot of ruckus, shall we say. Um, and James really actually is asking that, a very simple question about belief in Jesus and what happens next in our lives. How does your life change as you say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus? If you claim faith to be a Christian, then what should your behavior look like, actually? And James is taking aim at a few different things here, I think. He's, he's taking aim at passivity, uh, at Christians who just they, they can't be bothered. It becomes a lazy thing. Uh, perhaps taking aim at uh, people who have a lot of head knowledge, but no activity. Okay, so maybe you, you know lots of your Bible, you know lots of your beliefs, but you don't live them out. Uh, perhaps he's taking aim at hypocrites as well. People who would um, behave in certain ways for some people in different ways for other people. And also, I think, taking aim at Christian show-offs who maybe even make a big play of the things that they talk about, even some of their activity. But uh, there's hypocrisy there again. And uh, James is asking, can that faith save them? In other words, is their faith real? Well, let's... And he, he kind of um, roots this in the community, in the church. Okay, in verses 15, he says, look, your faith has to be real because it affects your community. It affects the people around you. It's not a, a private faith. It's very public. And he gives this example, doesn't he? He tells this little story. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in foods, and one of you, so one of the church, says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled. Um, but without giving them the things they need for their body. It says, what good is that? What, what purpose is it? So also faith by itself does not have works, is dead. So James is saying, look, you people, you need to understand that faith is not hidden, private, personal. Okay? Faith is public. It's played out in front of other people. It's played out in interaction with other people. And if you reduce faith just to a list of things that you believe, like even a list of things, I agree with these things, I disagree with those things. Uh, if it becomes a, a just a, a, that list, an intellectual exercise, and not something that affects your behavior, then you have perhaps missed the points. And if that is the case, that has a, has a bad effect, has a detrimental effect on those who are around you, on your church community, on your community that you live in, perhaps the place that you work, perhaps your family, perhaps your marriage, perhaps your friendship groups can have a detrimental effects there if faith is just something you think about, not something you live out. And so he explains this scenario. He says, look, if someone in your church says, look, I'm really hungry, the clothes I've got are wearing out, uh, and I'm in trouble here. Financially, I'm in big trouble. And actually, uh, in the world that we live in at the moment, uh, we can look around and see that that's becoming increasingly true. But it's true all the time anyway. Uh, Jesus says the poor are always with you, aren't they? And we know that. Um, so if somebody in church is experiencing that and somebody else just says, well, go in peace, be warm and filled. Okay, that's it. Effectively, it's a common biblical phrase that just means bless you. So if somebody comes to church on Sunday and we can clearly see their clothes are wearing out. We clearly see they're hungry. They're telling us they're hungry. And we just say, bless you, and then let them leave. And that's it. Off they go. That, that's all there is. And James is saying, look, what use is that to anybody? Genuinely, what good is it? He says, look, faith that doesn't have works, doesn't have activity, doesn't have a, a step of faith involved in helping people is dead. It, it's no faith. 
it, he says, faith in Jesus produces activity, produces fruits, produces worship to God that gets into every part of our life. A faith in God that produces no good works, nothing good, no fruit, no helping of others is broken. That's what James is saying, which is a very uh, thought provoking thing, something for us to ponder on. Uh, and James actually isn't the only writer in the New Testament who says this. Sometimes these verses in James are kind of singled out as an isolated incident. But actually, Jesus says something a bit similar. In Matthew 25, he says, look, I was hungry, but you gave me no food. I was thirsty, but you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, but you didn't welcome me. I was naked, but you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, but you didn't visit me. And he's putting himself in the position of those who are poor, those who are hungry, those in prison, those who are on the margins of society. And he's saying, look, if you're not helping them, you're not really helping me. A very powerful statement. Faith in Jesus changes your heart, changes your thinking, changes your activity. It causes you to see the world around you and think about it and behave at it very, very differently. Actually, in a, one of John's letters, in 1 John, he actually said something very similar to James as well. He said, if anyone has the world's goods, anyone is even quite well off, you've got plenty of stuff, you see your brother in need, yet you close your heart against him, how does God, God's love abide in him? It's a very powerful statement. You, you close your heart. It's an active decision. Actually, you know, I, I can see that even though they haven't got much, they don't need my help, or perhaps they don't deserve my help. It's their fault they're in this position. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, if you just talk a good game, you can't really play the game. So Jesus and the church that immediately followed Jesus, those first hundred or so years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they totally understood what it was to have faith. It was to live a dangerous life, actually, to, to live a life of uh, stepping out and looking after those around us, of radical obedience to Jesus, of faith in the public place. It wasn't personal or hidden or an individual faith at all. It wasn't something they said, well, this is my personal thing that I believe, and um, that's just between me and God, and it has no effect on everyone else. Faith is very public. So what does James say that we should, we should do? He says, okay, well, how does, this, how does this work out? He's not just dropping bombs and then walking away. He actually says, okay, look, I'll give you three, three hints at how you beat this, how you live a life of radical faith, how actually we're not people who just talk, but um, we are people of activity and purpose as well. And he gives three hints. And the first hint is understanding is not enough. He says in verse 18, Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So, I mean, this is, uh, James is really hammering home his point here. Uh, he's saying, look, if someone believes in God, claims they have a faith, but it has no impact on their behavior, on themselves as a person, on the way that they treat others, look after the poor, look after their family, look after their finances, all sorts. If it have no effect on your life, then you're a bit like a demon. Okay, there you go. You're a bit like uh, someone, a force for evil, uh, which is pretty provocative. And for, for James, actually, it's very simple. 
A demon is a spiritual being that is opposed to God. It is a force of evil. And he says, look, those forces of evil factually believe that God exists. Okay, so uh, a demon believes that God exists. And actually, we see it in the New Testament a number of times. The few occasions that a demon will speak, it will know who Jesus is. Okay, so they believe that God exists. Um, but no, just knowing the existence of God actually is not enough. James is saying, okay, well, that's not really a faith, is it? Mere belief, mere understanding is not enough. So that's his first hint. Okay, so just bear with me there because it gives us some things that we can do. It's not all like you're all demons. Okay, let's take the next step. Uh, the second step is, uh, the second hint as how we can make this work actually is we can take a step into the unknown. He says, look, verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So this is the ultimate act of faith. And Abraham gives us this incredible example of it uh, to offer up the thing that is most dear to you, most important to you. Okay, and sometimes when we think about our faith, we think, okay, all right, I will change this part of who I am and I offer this to you, I even offer you these parts of my life and activity. But this bit here, which yeah, means a lot to me, I'm just going to keep that uh, separated out. I'm going to keep that to myself. Um, I will offer up, you know, how I, I look after my kids or, you know, my marriage or my work life. Or, but you know, this part, um, my finances, I'm just going to keep that to myself or, you know, my, my thought life. I'm just, we're not going to talk about that. That's, that's for me. But actually Abraham offers up the most important thing that he has. He offers up his son. What you've been hoping for was his son. What he would, uh, would remember. Uh, for as long as he could remember, he was his son he was hoping for. He built his life around this and he offered it up, his firstborn. And God asks Abraham, says, look, trust me with everything and now prove it. And so faith for Abraham was obedience to God, wasn't it? Was saying, okay, I'll take my son up the mountain. I offer my son as a sacrifice. He built uh, the, the, the altar on which to kill his son. Uh, and it's a sacrifice to God. Uh, but actually, God intervened and he didn't have to do it. And God provided uh, something else to die in, in place of his son. But it was a great step into the unknown, wasn't it? That was uh, how Abraham got, uh, um, showed that he had faith. It wasn't just intellectually. He didn't say, yes, I trust God. God actually said, okay, well, here we go. This is how we're going to play this out. The conversations that I often have as a pastor over a number of years of kind of leading in church and pastoring people, and people often will come and say, look, I'm really struggling in my faith at the moment. And often it's quite an emotional conversation. They'll just say, I'm not feeling it. I, I'm, I just, I don't know what God wants me to do. I, there's a, I don't know what my purpose is in this. I don't know what I feel about God anymore. I, I don't know how to get past this. And honestly, most of the time, there isn't an obvious answer. You could also, you could get into lots of kind of counseling and different things about why they feel that and maybe say, look, you need to read your Bible more or you need to pray more, all of the usual kind of things that you might need to say. But actually, in almost every case, what they need to do is step out into the unknown. It's to say, actually, you know what, God's, I'm going to be obedient to you 
I'm going to step out into something. I'm going to have faith in you and I'm going to put myself into a difficult situation to step out and believe you, God. And it's not something we say flippantly or lightly because actually uh, sometimes God wants to teach us how, how to step out in faith and it not go as well as we hope. Sometimes he wants to teach us how we step out in faith and it's astounding and goes way beyond our imagination. But what he wants is for us to go into that place of discomfort, that place where we give away everything that's ours and say, Lord, this is for you. We serve those around us. Actually, that's a big step into the unknown. So that's the second hint he gives us. The third hint is to step into a new community. And he gives the example of Rahab, just a brilliant. So we get Abraham, this great father of Israel, this one of the, the, the people that the, the, Israel, the Israelites would look to and say he was, he was a hugely important person in our history, okay, massively. Like the British would say Winston Churchill or something like that. They would say Abraham's this hugely important person. Uh, and he's, and he, so he gives us that individual. And then he says, okay, the next example, Rahab. Okay, so that's the third point. How we step into a new community. And he says, verse 25, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So he chooses someone whose works look not great. She is a prostitute. I mean, that's not a great example of good works. But as she said, justified by works when she stepped out in faith and she received the messengers that were sent out by them when she could see this new community and became part of it. Okay, so Rahab's faith journey is, is insane. Actually, it's incredible. Uh, this uh, prostitute saw how God was moving his people through Israel. Okay, they were advancing into the promised land and she says in Joshua she says to him look as soon as we heard about you about this Israelite people that were coming into Israel that were taking cities our hearts melted not in a oh we're in love with you our hearts melted it was in a we're terrified our, our heart our passion for battle our belief in our own gods in our own leaders disappeared and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God's he is our God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Okay, so Rahab had seen what God was doing and made the Israelite God her God. And she said, he is the God in heavens and on the earth. He is the Lord now. And so the Israelite spies stay with her, then help them to escape. Rahab helps them to escape. And when Israel invades, Rahab and our family are spared. Okay, very important story. Now, the, the extra bit on this, according to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, who tells the story of Jesus, he actually says, look, Rahab marries an Israeli man. Okay? So she's redeemed from her lifestyle. She is made clean. She marries an Israeli man. She becomes the great, great grandmother to King David, okay? which is not bad, uh, and therefore becomes in the family tree of Jesus. Okay, so that's a turnaround for a prostitute of, uh, who wasn't even in the people of God. She was uh, a, an outsider. She was not part of uh, those people. Incidentally, if you think your family's a bit rough and you think, oh gosh, uh, my family tell uh, some pretty bad stories about their ancestry. I'm wondering if that's in my DNA. Maybe that's a reason for things going on in my life. Well, Jesus' family was pretty colorful as well. So uh, you can be in good company with him. But this action of faith that Rahab takes brings her into this new community, okay? So she understood that understanding was not enough. She needed to step into the unknown, like Abraham did, like James is calling us to do. And that brings you into the people of God. That brings you into this new kingdom 
and this new purpose. Belief in God, as James would say, is translated into fruit, into action. We don't earn this belief in God. We don't earn the love of God by good action. Actually, God loves us. He saves us. He brings us into his family. He provides a different sacrifice to the offering that we put up like Abraham did. So that story there of Abraham and his son is just a little clue about what God was going to do with Jesus. He provides a way for us to be part of this new family. He totally changes our background and our history, like Rahab the prostitute, totally flips it on his head. So she is suddenly now in the people of God and is restored and in, restored and in the family line of Jesus, um, which is what he does for us. And yet, at the same time, fruit comes from us. It's actually a great privilege when you think about it, all the amazing stuff God can do, and yet he chooses to use us. A bit mind-bending, I find it. Even when it's impossible, even when it's dangerous, actually, uh, God would use us. And that is faith that matters, faith that comes from a changed heart. And so when we think about the world around us at the moment and the world as it will be again in the future, however different that might be, actually, some things never change. And what never changes, actually, we worship God's and we worship God with every part of our lives and with everything that we do.